0: Hello and welcome to the lesson. My name is Wyatt Fairman, and if you're not familiar with the In All Fairness podcast, it is a spiritually based podcast sharing stories with spiritual application. Now, normally, we have a short story or maybe even a lesson from God's Word that we read through and talk about. but this episode is going to be a little bit different. Occasionally, I will post sermons that I have preached and I preach them live. This is one of those episodes. It's a bonus episode not included in any season. So please enjoy this lesson. Thank you. Steve Jobs was fired from Apple. Did you know that? Maybe if you did know that, you may have also known that upon being fired from Apple, he would then go home and start working on a computer that was so powerful that not only did Apple himself buy the product, but they hired Steve Jobs back. And he rose the ranks to be the Steve Jobs that we know of. And that computer... Is a little something called the iMac. It's one of the most generational inventions we've seen in late years. Maybe you also know the story of Milton Hershey, who created three candy companies before one finally clicked Hershey. And this one's my absolute favorite. If you know Walt Disney, then you know that he worked for a small newspaper company before being fired, and his reason for being fired was, quote, he lacked creativity. Well, Walt Disney would then go and create his own animation studio, which he would expand into the biggest company in entertainment today that we know of, Disney. All of these men, in their journey to find success, heard no... lot no it's a two-letter word and not a lot of people like to hear it it's hard to hear no and unfortunately from the world's perspective today that is what God tells the world no no lying no cursing no stealing no killing no sin no 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 and the world asks God can't you give us a yes and he does His name is Jesus Christ. And he died so that God can look at us and say, yes, enter into the kingdom of heaven. I've paid the streets gold just for you. Do you like them? I've built many mansions for you. Yes. And you know, this is going to be a really obvious statement. You didn't bring me in here today to make obvious statements, but I'm going to make a few during this lesson, so I ask that you just bear with me. Our sin put Jesus on the cross. Please think about that as we read from our first passage. Matthew chapter 27. If you don't mind, please turn there with me. Matthew chapter 27, verse 20. As you're turning, I'll start reading. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They said to him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Let him be crucified. This account in Matthew is quite telling to me. You see, this is more than just a simple choice between Barabbas and Jesus. It's the worst choice we have ever made in history. It's also the worst choice we will ever continue to make. And we have to live with the guilt that we killed the Son of God. And people might be a little skeptical about that, especially those in the world that have a little bit of information about Christianity as a religion. They think, well, hold on, red flag, I wasn't there when Jesus died on the cross. That wasn't me yelling, crucify him, he's to blame. But I would say to you, our actions today is pretty resembling almost to the point that it's as if we were just right there saying, crucify him. He's to blame. You see, I think in a way, all of us are guilty of choosing Barabbas over Jesus. So what happens when we make that choice? What happens when we choose to free Barabbas and destroy Jesus? Number one, we choose Barabbas. We're allowing temptation to prevail. I understand that's, again, kind of an obvious statement, but it's something we should really consider. And all these points that I have, I have three, they'll all sound kind of similar, but as we study, please find the differences in them and strongly consider them. Back to our passage, in verse 20, it says, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes. How is temptation going to prevail? Well, somebody has to be tempted. And right here, the multitudes that have gathered in this area are being persuaded by who? The chief priests and the elders. How often are you persuaded by leaders of a group you may be in? I think an obvious illustration to give would be politics. I'm not gonna go into that, but that's just for y'all's own information And that goes both parties. That's not me leaning either way when I say that, but it's easy to see how you can have a politician and people follow that politician. And even if they might be wrong, they're still following. But we talked about Disney earlier. We talked about entertainment. Let's consider that. Um, I did not know that my mom was gonna be in the audience when I planned to share this story, Uh, but I'm still gonna say anyways, it's nothing bad. I don't think, but if I get punished or y'all don't hear from me later on, just, it's fine. My mom and I are both Nashville Predators hockey fans, huge fans, and it's in the off season, so there's been some news as of late, and we've had some, not heated, but very argumentative type discussions about hockey. And I have an opinion, she has an opinion, and her opinion is that she's mad at the leadership of the Nashville Predators organization for how they're treating and dealing out the players. She's mad at that leadership, while I am a simple hockey fan who's probably just following that leadership blindly. You see, it's easy to be tempted When we really look up to someone we consider a trustworthy source. So let's go back to our passage. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes. Not Billy Joe down the street. He wasn't tempting the crowd. These were the top people in their society. The chief priests, the elders, those who knew knew more about the coming Messiah than supposedly anyone else. The people who the Jews would come to and they wanted to learn from and they wanted to grow in their faith and they're saying crucify him, he's to blame. So much so that we have the mob mentality saying crucify him, he's to blame. I understand how trustworthy the chief priests and elders may be. I would say, no, my parents, and my grandparents are here today. They're probably up there the most trusted people I know. But if your most trusted source, if your most go-to source isn't God, then there's the chance that you could be misled. And here we see the chief priests and the elders doing just that in spades. And as we go through the lesson, we'll read more and more about it. Why? Because there's another part to that verse But the chief priests and the elders, in verse 20, persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Okay. Now there's a give and take. And we're going to talk about this give and take a little bit more as we go throughout the lesson. But you have two options. Crowd, people who have gathered. Barabbas dies or Jesus dies. One of us going free. One of them's living. Who's it going to be? We have to make a choice. And we have to learn. Even when the rest of the world is saying crucify him. Even when the rest of the world is saying be mad at the Nashville Predators organization and leadership. We have to learn not to give in. We cannot let temptation prevail. But all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So in a way we already have, let temptation prevail in our lives, at least once, at least. But Jesus died for those sins. but it's during those sins, when we made a choice, a simple choice between what's right and what's wrong and we chose wrong, there's a parallel between choosing Jesus and choosing Barabbas. What else happens when we choose Barabbas? Well, point number two, we're not choosing God. I said this point would be very obvious, very kind of duh-like, but it's so true. And we really strongly need to consider this because when we're choosing Barabbas, we are not choosing God. Read with me in verse 21, please. The governor answered and said to them, which of these two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. They made a choice. Hindsight's 2020 20 were gathered here today because we know it was the wrong choice, but they chose Barabbas. But this isn't anything new. I could take you back to Genesis and we could read about Adam and Eve falling and making the wrong choice for the first time. Maybe a little bit even more serious, not that one sin is more serious than the other, but in Genesis chapter 4, I could tell you about where Cain killed Abel for the first time. Or in Genesis chapter 6, when the world was so full of sin that only eight people survived a great flood. What about people like David, a man after God's own heart, who was lustful towards Bathsheba and entered into a snowball of sin. If you know me and you know my study habits and things I like to talk about, I like to talk about the children of Israel, the Jews, and I I like discussing them because they picture society perfectly today. At least they picture me perfectly today. And I make jokes about them because you read them And you think, they messed up a lot. Man, it's like every other chapter, they're trying to earn their trust with God back and then they, they worship idols or they do something they're not supposed to. But it's the same thing today. We're tempted, we sin, and we go to God. We try to get forgiveness and we attain forgiveness because Jesus died for us a parallel. It's the same problem today as it was back then. Mankind makes the wrong choice, and we try to make amends, and now we have a path to do it because Jesus died for us. So when we're not choosing God, we're choosing Barabbas and vice versa. But what happens if we were to choose God? Let's weigh the pros and the cons for a second. Please turn with me to the book of Job. And bear with me because I'm preaching from a study Bible today, so that just means that I'll take a little bit longer to turn to where I want to be. But Job chapter 42, that's the last chapter, and we're going to start in verse 12. Job 42, 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, one thousand yoke of oxen and one thousand female donkeys he also had seven sons and three daughters he called the name of the first jemima the name of the second keziah and the name of the third karen hapuk in all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of job and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers after this job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren For four generations. So Job died old and full of days. I think that's a very underappreciated part of the book of Job. Because I think it sums up perfectly just what we need to be looking forward to. Now, our reward for obeying God today isn't that we're going to receive all these livestock and children or live long and full days. Our reward is heaven, I know that. But do you remember what God called Job? This is my servant, Job. There is none like him in all the face of the earth. Imagine if God could say that about us. He could if we were to choose him. And we could be rewarded with him in heaven forever. Does that not sound amazing? And it's my personal opinion as I've studied that you read throughout the Bible and there's nobody who's ever walked the earth That has been as dedicated, as good a servant to God as Job was, except for Jesus. Because you forget Jesus walked the earth too. He is the son of God. I recognize that. I recognize that authority. But he walked the same earth just as you and me do today. And let's read a little bit about how much faith Jesus had in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22, please. Luke chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, and he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. That's more important than you think. Please remember that last part, his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. We just talked about that. He was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I think we've read that before. We know that story. Jesus is is, hes in so much anguish, so much stress, and he's praying to God, Please, Father, but not my will, but yours be done. What happened next? Verse 43. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. In verse 44. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Have you ever been in so much stress, so much anxiety? for what's about to come that you're sweating blood have you ever now i recognize he's the son of god so i'm being a little rhetorical a little sarcastic when i ask this but have you ever prayed so hard that an angel of god has appeared to you to strengthen you did that strengthening work what about verse forty-five? When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. He said to them, "Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation." Now we've cycled. You see, there was a few times where Jesus was praying that he looked, and the people that were near him were sleeping, and he's thinking to himself, "You're sleeping. I'm praying to God, and you're sleeping." Jesus is going through some of the most stress he's ever gone through in his life, and the people that are supposed to be his followers, the people that are supposed to love and worship him, are sleeping. I sleep a lot. Ask my parents. I sleep in pretty late during the summer sometimes. And I say that I don't think I'd be able to go to sleep during that time, that I'd be right there with Jesus if that were me. But then again, I'm the same person who has sinned. And following along with the principle, the parallel, I'm the same person who's chosen Barabbas over God. It's easy to say, not as easy to do. There's a few details I want to look at that passage verse 41 says he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw you know stoning was a form of punishment way back in those times where people grabbed giant rocks, giant stones and they would throw them at someone until they died or until they were so hurt they were basically dead Now, I understand he's with his disciples, but the very next thing that's going to happen after this is he's betrayed and he's going to be crucified. This is foreboding a very painful death. As far as someone could throw a stone, which can't be too, too far, Jesus is praying, begging, pleading for his life. And we, we talked about the angel. We talked about whether that strengthened Jesus or not. And he arose from his prayer and he went right back to teaching. Don't be asleep, lest you may fall to temptation. Just like it never happened almost. Here's Jesus. He's begging, he's pleading, he's sweating blood. An angel comes to help him, and he's right back to teaching, knowing that in just a few moments, He's about to be crucified. That's power. But there's one more detail. And this is one that we have talked about a lot, or at least not we, but I'm talking about the church in general. In verse 42, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that's when the skeptics come in yet again you mean to say that God wanted Jesus to die? No, that's not the case whatsoever. God didn't want Jesus to die, he wanted us to live. There's a difference. There needs to be a little bit more evidence there, right, that God didn't want Jesus to die. Because right now, this is the only path. Jesus is begging for his life. An angel comes down and strengthens Jesus, but he knows he's still going to die. He's sweating blood. He's stressed out of his mind. Sounds to me, just by reading it, that God is trying to kill Jesus. That's a gross misinterpretation of the text. I understand that. Please don't get confused Let's go back to our actual text in Matthew 27, and let's study a little bit more so we can clear up any confusion. Verse 19 in Matthew 27. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. This is the request that's been made. We want Barabbas, we don't want Jesus, and there's one person who can make this decision right now, Pilate. Watch what happens next. If you don't mind, turn with me. Actually, just look back with me. In verse 21, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said, what then shall I do to Jesus who is called Christ? That brings us to our third point. Because we talk about not choosing God and how Jesus, whenever he is dying or in so much stress, knowing he's about to die, he still chooses God. He says, not my will, but yours be done now we need to discuss that we are truly the ones who chose to kill jesus john chapter 19 please and remember i had us read that area because he called jesus the christ with a capital c john chapter 19 verse 13 through 16 When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat to take place as called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king, capital K. He's addressing authority. But they cried out away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Speaking to the Jews, you've got to remember, Pilate's the governor of Rome. He may not necessarily be a Jew because Rome has the Jews in their control. And this is the Messiah they've been waiting for. This is the king they've been talking about. And Pilate says, do you really want me to do this? This seems like the guy. This seems like it's it. This is the one you're waiting for. Why would he think that? Let's talk about verse 11. We didn't read that. Verse 11 in John chapter 19, Jesus answered his question. And by the way, Pilate asked him, you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Pilate tries to set that authority in front of Jesus. And now in verse 11, we see Jesus' response. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. We're looking at two different gospel accounts of the same story. And in this account, the same day that Pilate is talking to Jesus and he says, you have no authority, no power against me whatsoever unless it's been given to you by God. His wife receives a dream saying not to kill him. There's a message there. This is a chance that Pilate can take. Choose Barabbas or choose Jesus. What's it going to be? And what does he do? We know he washes his hands of it. Uh, do what you want. It's not my fault. I just gave the all clear for everything. It's not my fault. It's his fault. And it's their fault too. And it's our fault now. We accept Jesus's authority. Turn me to Matthew 27 once again. This time we're gonna read verse 37. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him this is jesus king of the jews now i know there's going to be a lot of turning the pages i want to go back to john and i want to go back to chapter 19 really quick just so you can see a direct parallel i'm sorry if your thumbs or fingers are hurting from turning different pages i know this is a lot but we really really need to look into this because in verse 19 now pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now that's the accusation. That's the title for those who are being crucified. Written on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, his sin, his crime, King of the Jews. And this is distinguished by Pilate, who's giving the okay for them to be crucified. This is Pilate giving Jesus the title. So now present Jesus, King of the Jews, to the people. His crime, his only crime is being the king. But there's more. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, who? The chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I'm the king of the Jews. Meaning, don't humor him. He told you he's the king of the Jews. Why are you writing that down? Because it's true. Pilate knew it and still chose to crucify him. To this day, we recognize that Jesus isn't just the king of the Jews, but he's our king. He's the son of God. We recognize that authority and we still sin. We still choose Barabbas. I'm aware this sermon has been pretty straightforward. You either choose sin or you don't. That's really, quite frankly, as easy as it is. That's as easy as it's ever been. But God threw, went through a lot of trouble for us to try and make the right choice. You know, there's a song that my youth group sings. And when we talk about the idea of if we're really hurting Jesus, I think it's quite profound. It's called Feel the Nails. The lyrics are like this. I'm not going to sing it to you, but uh, the lyrics are, can he still feel the nails every time I fail? Can he hear the crowd cry, crucify, again? Am I causing him pain when I know I've got to change because I just can't bear the thought of hurting him? Every time we sin, does he remember the nails driven into his hands? Does he remember that mob we talked about earlier yelling, crucify him? Does he remember? So yeah, every time we sin in a way, we're choosing Barabbas. And Jesus begged for another way. But the only way to prevent his death was to not have sinned in the first place. And it's the same thing today. Are you choosing Barabbas? What are the choices that you make? Are you obeying God at every chance? Do we really recognize Jesus' authority? I think we do. And do we still sin? As the parallel says, do we still choose Barabbas? Maybe you're here today and you've made plenty of those mistakes, or maybe even just a few. And you want forgiveness of those and you want to repent, you want to change your life please come forward and we can make that happen. If it's a personal matter, pray to God, attain his forgiveness, do what you need to do, but don't choose Barabbas. Maybe you're here and you need baptism, you need to be washed in the watery grave and saved. We can make that happen too. Whatever your need may be, please come as we stand and as we sing. Thanks for listening to the In All Fairness podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please, if you wouldn't mind giving us a like rating. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.